Welcome to Getting Technetical, a Technetics podcast. Your source for insights on engineered ceiling and component solutions for the world's most demanding environments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the show. Now, today we're talking about the Q2, Q3 earnings of a handful of aerospace companies to get some insight into where different markets are heading. And joining me here once again on the podcast is Jason Riggs, and he's going to be discussing the 2022 Q2, Q3 earnings of Heiko, Transdime, Embraer, Boeing, and Parker, along with insights gained from conversations with individuals from each of these companies. Um, so, Jason, for those who may not know who you are, please give us a, just a, a brief introduction uh, into yourself, your career path, and, and your current role at, Techn- at Technetics. Sure. Well, first off, good morning. Thanks again for having me back on, Tyler. It's great to be back with you. Um, so, my role uh, in Technetics, I'm the Director of Sales for uh, North America. And what that means is I'm responsible for our sales activity in the Americas, uh, for all markets. And additionally, I have global responsibility for our sales uh, kind of structure and strategy in the aerospace market. So as Technetics, we're a global company. Uh, I have peers in Europe that kind of handle the uh, sales operations over there. And I support by ensuring that we have a kind of a cohesive global strategy for aerospace. Um, my career progression, I started as a mechanical engineer uh, doing design work. Um, for a couple of different aerospace companies and joined Technetics going on almost 10 years ago. Uh, I've done everything from uh, regional sales manager, North American sales manager, and most recently I was responsible for uh, kind of strategy development uh, for the North American businesses. So I recently just kind of moved back into a, a purely commercial role and I'm very happy to be, uh, be here with you today. I love it. I love it. Happy to have you on once again, Jason. So um, today we're discussing the 2022 Q2, Q3 earnings of several major aerospace companies, uh, like I mentioned off the top. Why do you track this information and tell us a little bit more about its significance? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I, I, I try to do this every quarter, um, look at, you know, earnings reports, listening to earnings calls from our peers, competitors, uh, you know, and other players in the market. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it's always interesting to hear what our, our peers and our competitors are saying about the markets, uh, especially in times like these where markets like aerospace have, you know, really kind of seen drastic fluctuations uh, kind of pre and post COVID. So, you know, the crystal ball is always a little bit murky. So it, it's helpful to kind of just listen uh, and hear what our, our peers and competitors have to say about the markets. Uh, also, right now, I find there's a lot of value in, in hearing from those folks on the supply chain issues that they're facing. I mean, naturally, when when you're listening to an earnings call uh, these days, uh, you will hear about supply chain issues. Uh, so it's interesting to kind of hear the types of issues uh, that uh, some of those folks are facing in the supply chain, some of the um, actions they're taking to kind of mitigate uh, some of those issues. And then the last thing I find kind of interesting, especially right now, is is kind of hearing uh, commentary from, you know, again, peers and competitors on geopolitical issues, you know, especially in the aerospace market there. Um, there's just a lot of things happening outside of, uh, uh, you know, of our backyard that really affect everything from market demand to uh, the flow of raw materials, if you will. So I find a lot of value uh, listening to to those folks kind of on on, on those fronts. 
Um, the other the other reason that I, I kind of spend a lot of time reading and listening to these earnings calls and earnings reports is I, it, I always find it interesting to hear what the street is thinking about. So, you know, when you, when you listen to an earnings call, there's always analysts from, from you know, different banks and so on that uh, represent the investor community. And their questions, their line of questioning really kind of indicate uh, and suggest, you know, what are they thinking about? What are they worrying about? What are they excited about? And, and there's value there, whether it be, you know, as we think about our, our organic growth strategy, uh, but certainly as we think about our inorganic growth strategy as Technetics and Enpro, it's always interesting to kind of know what the investors are excited about or, or what, what's worrying them. So I find uh, kind of getting that insight from the investment community very, uh, very helpful. Um, in addition to these earnings calls and reports, I also read a lot of uh, forecasts and uh, kind of opinion pieces from industry experts. You know, in aerospace in particular, there's a couple key firms that, uh, that that's all they do is, is really kind of look at the data, read the tea leaves, talk to executives. So as I listen to earnings calls and commentary from peers and competitors coupled with uh, industry, you know, analyst reports and forecasts, I'm better able to kind of triangulate in on where I think the markets are going, where our competitors are going, where the money's going. Uh, and all of that really kind of better positions me and our business to forecast, to deploy resources appropriately, uh, and really just to kind of reinforce what we think we know about where our markets and our businesses are going. Yeah, I think that's that, that's really well said and really well explained as to why this is so important to to track and to discuss. And so let's dive in and discuss some of these overall trends that we're seeing. Are you seeing that earnings are up, down, or roughly the same from this time last year? And uh, and depending on what the answer is, what what does this mean for the industry? So most of the companies that I track saw significant year-on-year -year increases in both sales and and EBITDA profitability. You know, uh, again, looking at this previous quarter. Uh, just about everybody is experiencing book to bill ratios above one. And, and really what that means is they're taking in more orders uh, than they're shipping. So they're building a backlog. And that's, that, that's a good kind of barometer of market health. Um, we have to be a little bit careful with that metric because it can also kind of highlight uh, supply chain constraints, production constraints. But in general, a book to bill ratio above one is always a good thing. And we didn't see that uh, both at the OEM level, i.e. Boeing and Airbus and in the supply chain for, for some amount of time as we went through COVID. So the fact that we're back to book to bill ratios above one, um, that's, uh, that, that's very positive. Uh, the other kind of overall theme that I saw is, you know, everybody wants to move faster, uh, whether it's the OEMs, uh, specifically Airbus, who's pushing really hard to increase production rates uh, or, you know, even tier ones, tier twos in the supply chain. Everybody wants to make more, get more out the door, move faster. Um, and the reality is there's, there's, there's just too many constraints, whether it be in the supply chain or uh, personnel uh, to be able to do that. So really the takeaway is we don't, in aerospace, we don't have a market or demand problem. We have a capacity in manufacturing and really through, throughput problem. Uh, the market's there, just the our, our as industry's ability to kind of get stuff out the door is really where the, the challenges lie right now. And that's that's a drastic uh, kind of turn from where we were, you know, kind of in the heart of the pandemic. 
Yeah, it is really interesting to see that that shift from where things were. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, in the heart of the pandemic. So l- let's do a deep dive into the individual companies and take a look at, at some of your key takeaways from there. So take us through some of these key companies that you you take a look at and, and walk us through what we need to know and and what the takeaways are there. So in general terms, if if your business is connected to Airbus, uh, especially narrow body jets, um, you're in great shape. If your business is connected to the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, um, you're in great shape. You know, these are kind of some some of the areas within commercial and defense that just continue to really dominate, frankly. Um, Conversely, if your business is is tied to wide body twin aisle jets, um, you're feeling some pain right now because that's one sector of the commercial aero market that's been declining and will continue to suffer uh, probably through the, the remainder of this, this decade. Um, more specific to some of the company names we talked about, um, Heiko and Transdime are two companies that I follow and both are experiencing double digit um, year on year growth in both sales and EBITDA. Um, those are two businesses that continue to do very, very well. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one is both of those businesses are connected to the right markets. So they, they place their bets uh, in businesses, they acquire businesses that have the right platform content. So as I mentioned previously, there's certain platforms that you really wanna be on um, and there's some that, uh, that you don't. And these two businesses uh, really know how, how to place their bets well. So they're on platforms that are growing, they're on platforms that, uh, that have you know, continued demand into the, the coming decades, which allows them to make appropriate investments. Uh, the other thing I see with these two businesses in particular is they have uh, a nice balance between the OEM business and the aftermarket business. And right now, and, and by and large, the aftermarket tends to track kind of number of flights or just pa- pure passenger demand, if you will. So in other words, if people are flying, if demand is there, if aircraft are taking off regularly, MRO is kind of tracking the same way. And right now that's the case. So, so these businesses have good OEM content on the right platforms, but they also have that nice uh, MRO content, which tends to be more profitable. Uh, and right now that's growing. And then the last thing I see with these two businesses is they both have strong product IP. So they're not selling commodity goods. They are selling high IP engineered products and solutions, which allow them to command a higher price uh, in the market. So for those reasons, those two businesses uh, are doing well and had uh, nice re- earnings reports. Uh, if we kind of switch to the, the airframers, for instance, and we think about um, like business jets, for example, uh, Embraer in Brazil continues to p- perform really well, uh, which is interesting because as you may recall, uh, they were for sale at one point, Boeing was gonna buy them, that all kind of fell apart. And then there was this question of, you know, can Embraer continue to perform? and grow on their own without a, a larger kind of parent uh, holding company. And, and the answer to that is yes, they've seen uh, really nice improvement in pro forma EBITDA margins. Uh, in other words, the, the outlook is, is very bright for them. Uh, they're doing really well and they're, they're in the right spot in the market. Uh, kind of sticking with the airframers, uh, Boeing on the other hand is, is really struggling uh, due to a variety of reasons, many of which have been well publicized in the media. Uh, uh, there are some bright spots within Boeing, but by and large, um, that business is is not doing as well as many of us would, would hope to see. 
conversely, uh, Airbus um, is doing very well. Uh, they continue to thrive, especially as the A321neo really continues to grow and dominate that middle market. I mean, it really is uncontested in that space. So Airbus um, is, is just doing really well across the board. Uh, so in addition to airframers and components folks, I also look at some of the systems players. Um, so for instance, if we think about Parker, they experienced about 10% organic growth versus prior year. Uh, EBITDA margins continued to increase. Um, so that's that's a really good sign for you know folks kind of at that level in the supply chain. So really, by and large, everybody I look at and kind of follow um, enjoyed really nice quarter on quarter and especially year on year growth uh, in this last reporting cycle. That's really really interesting, and I I enjoyed that breakdown just kind of company by company. Now I want to go back to something that you said pretty early on in that response, Jason, and that was the the trouble with the wide body aircraft market. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more and tell us what we should be looking at there? Yeah, so wide body is interesting. Uh, it's generally you know kind of viewed as being tied to international travel, um, and so. The, the easy takeaway is to say, well, post-COVID, people aren't traveling international and therefore wide body is, is, is in bad shape. And that's true. But the reality is right before COVID hit, there was really a, starting to we were starting to see a shift uh, away from from wide body uh, airplanes like the A321neo, for instance, really kind of started to get a lot more attention. So there was already a, a shift towards some of these larger um, single aisle uh, airplanes. Um, and then once COVID hit and international travel did indeed uh, decline, uh, really die for all intents and purposes, uh, it just kind of further accelerated this, this, this shift towards uh, other larger single aisle platforms. So, you know, international travel is, is coming back to a degree uh, in most of the world, um, not Asia, but as it comes back, it's being serviced by uh, sing, again, single aisle platforms. So wide body, it, it's in trouble. It's going to be in trouble for a long time. Um, I mean, I would say just based on what I kind of hear and read, you know, 2030, maybe even mid 2030s until wide body is kind of back to some new baseline. So it, it's just not a great place to be. And, and again, we were starting to see some of the writing on the wall back in, you know, say 2019. And now it's now it's official. It's It's just a bad place to be. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting, and and you know I, I want to go back to to when you talked about how the majority of the companies that you look at were experiencing year on year growth. Are there other market segments that will remain hot going into twenty twenty three? What what do you see um, as far as going into twenty twenty three? What stays hot? What continues to grow moving forward? Yeah, so most of the industry uh, is actually looking really great moving into twenty twenty three. I'll I'll highlight business jets as an example. Um, Business jets continue to perform very, very well. And, and, and business jet is kind of a broad uh, kind of category that encompasses everything from small little uh, you know, borderline regional jets to what they call now the, the ultra you know, top end of the market. And, and all of that market segment is really performing very well. Um, Honeywell is a company that, uh, that, you know, that we follow closely and, and every year around the um, NBAA show, they released their global market forecast uh, that really focuses on business jet. And that recent forecast showed that 
Uh, in 2023, they're calling for business jet deliveries to increase 17% over business jet deliveries in uh, 2022. I mean, that's a pretty significant uh, increase. Um, and that, that really is in line with kind of what we're seeing in, the, in you know, those uh, portions of our business. The other thing that they look at that I find interesting is they'll actually interview operators in that space. So anybody from, you know, a small private corporate uh, pilot uh, to, you know, a, a fractional owner like a NetJets. And 97% of the respondents said they plan to fly as much, if not more, in 2023 than they did in 2022. So another kind of key anecdote suggesting that that market will continue to remain strong, uh, in, in, not just in 2023, but really uh, throughout the decade. So again, the, the forecast that, that we're seeing from them and what we're seeing kind of at, at our level in the supply chain suggests that business jet is going to continue to be strong really throughout the decade. And that's, that's great news for us because at Technetics, we have a lot of content on those platforms and a variety of content. So in other words, most of the product lines that we uh, offer in Technetics North America uh, have application on business jets, anything from managing the noise coming out of an APU to uh, seals within a gearbox to uh, small metal seals, uh, static metal seals in, in components such as a valve. We have a lot of content spread across those platforms. So we're really encouraged by what we're seeing um, really kind of throughout the end of this decade in that market. So from our conversation so far, it really seems that the industry appears to be recovering from the effects of the pandemic. So what do you see these numbers meaning for 2023? And also what potential challenges lie ahead that, that might change this current growth trajectory that we're seeing? Yeah, great question. Um, so the first thing we look at is demand, passenger demand. You know, do people want to fly? Uh, does the data suggest that they are buying tickets? Um, do forward bookings suggest that they're going, you know, going to continue flying? And right now it looks really great. I mean, what we're seeing is, the market demand is there um, everywhere in the world except China. Um, if we take China out of the equation, the, the market demand is very strong. China is the exact opposite. It's very, very much suppressed in China. The, the, the demand is just not there. There's a variety of reasons for that. But as we think about going into next year, uh, we always are keeping an eye on demand and we have to continue to watch uh, Obviously, what's happening globally, uh, we have to keep an eye on what's happening in China. There are some suspicions that things will loosen up, uh, really kind of tied to their political cycle, if you will. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. And then, of course, rest of the world, what's happening, what's happening in North America, what's happening in, in Europe uh, in terms of demand. But right now, all indications that are, are that uh, everything's you know, continue going to continue to be strong. But what we do know is every major Western market is back or nearly back to 2019 levels in terms of passenger demand. So that's that's really significant because as we went through COVID, uh, you know, January 2020, uh, sorry, January 2020 kind of represented the peak, if you will, in in the aero market. So the question has always been, when will we get back to that peak? Well. The answer is we're just about there uh, in most major markets with the exception of China. So we think that's going to continue. The other thing we look at as we move into 2023 and beyond is jetliner production. So usually you would expect that production kind of tracks with demand, but that's not necessarily always the case. Well, what really drives 
jetliner production more than than demand is a couple of things. One, the cost of fuel and oil, and then two, the cost of capital. And so the reason for that is the, the cost of fuel is really important because that that's a big driver for air, uh, airline profitability. And there's an old adage that when demand is good, uh, airlines will order jets. And when they're profitable, they'll actually take those jets. So we need the airlines to be profitable. And for them to be profitable, we need oil to be, um, you know, kind of in its sweet spot, if you will. Right now, it's pushing up up towards $100 a barrel. And that's starting to get up towards that pain point. Um, the other reason that fuel and oil is important is, uh, you know, the newer jets are more efficient. And the justification uh, for a more efficient jet gets stronger as fuel and oil gets more expensive. If fuel is is very, very cheap, it's harder to justify buying a new, more fuel efficient uh, airliner. So there's some give and take when it comes to the cost of fuel. There's, there's a kind of a band. Uh, you don't want it to be too low. You don't want it to be too high. Right now, we're kind of up towards the upper end of that, uh, that range where we'd like to see it. So that's something we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, the other thing I mentioned is the cost of capital. Um, you know, obviously lower interest rates uh, bode well for buying more jets, but really it's that ratio of cost of oil and fuel to cost of capital that's more important. So while interest rates are higher than probably all of us want to see, we're still in a range that is, um, I would say, advantageous for, for jetliner production. So as of right now, that's all looking pretty good, but those are the types of things we're going to be keeping an eye on as we go through the year. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention, uh, you know, of course, China. Uh, China is a significant portion of this market. So when we think about jetliner production, um, as goes China, goes, uh, you know, a significant portion of the order books for the, the major OEMs. So we'll keep an eye on that. But then aside from China, just other geopolitical issues, right? So as we think about uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that has a significant impact on the supply chain, uh, i.e. the production of things like titanium. So, you know, whether it's that um, situation or other geopolitical issues that arise, these can affect things like supply chain, uh, raw material uh, shortages, et cetera. So if we have passenger demand and everybody wants to build jets or we can't get material, we have, a, you know, a, a new problem. So all of these things uh, are kind of um, key factors and indicators that we monitor throughout the year. And as we go as we're going into 2023, everything's in pretty decent shape. Again, we have a very strong market. Um, Backlogs are very, very healthy. Some of the supply chain issues are starting to level out. So we feel pretty good about where we're at going into the year. Now, you, you talked a lot about fuel kind of throughout that that answer, Jason. And, and something we've talked about in the past has been the sustainability moving forward of the industry. So um, the industry has said that it wants to be carbon neutral by 2050. What technologies are being developed to achieve that goal? And do you think the 2050 timeline is is reasonable at this point? Yeah, so when we think about technologies that are going to get us to uh, net neutral, um, there's really, it's really a three horse race at this point. It, it comes down to um, electrification. So in other words, airplanes that are powered by batteries typically is kind of the, the, the thesis there for electrification. Um, the second would be hydrogen and hydrogen as we talked on our last podcast, there's a couple of different ways you can use hydrogen. You can burn hydrogen in the turbine, or you can use hydrogen in a fuel cell to generate electricity to power those electric motors. So all of that kind of fi- fa- falls in that uh, hydrogen bucket. And then the last 
um, potential solution would be SAF, sustainable aviation fuels, um, and, and, and possibly other biofuels. Uh, so again, electrification, hydrogen, and SAF are really kind of the three um, leading uh, technologies that, that can get us there. The reality is it, it appears, and this is my opinion and seems to be reflected by a lot of analysts, it, it really appears that SAF is the most likely solution, at least over the next 10 years. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One, it's, it, it's effectively a plug and play solution, right? You can, you, can, um, you can leverage the current infrastructure by and large, current turbines can, actually, can burn it uh, with some exceptions. But I mean, for instance, right now, there are modern jets can burn some, some mix of kerosene and, and sustainable aviation fuel today. Um, there are some challenges, right? It, it does use uh, and have some impact on feedstocks. So there are questions to be answered there, right? Now, what are we doing to the food supply if we become overly reliant on biofuels and, and so on? But there's a lot of work being done there to, to be able to build these, or I should say manufacture these biofuels without you know, necessarily impacting the, few, the, the, the food stock. Um, so it's not a perfect solution, but again, as we think about those three uh, technologies, it appears SAF will be the one that will get us at least through the next 10 years. Now, to your question, you know, will we be there by 2050? Um, remains to be seen. I, I believe the, the motivation is there. And I would say my opinion is SAF will get us probably to 2035 and then 2035 to 2050. I think that's where some of these other technologies are going to have to step in if the industry is truly going to be carbon neutral by then. Uh, my hope is that, you know, over those next 10 years, as we get into 2035, um, that we'll see, a, you know, significant advances in, say, battery technology, for instance. I mean, if, if there's new chemistries and battery technologies that, that avail, uh, that have higher energy densities, perhaps something like pure electric that's really not viable at this point becomes a contender. Um, I, I would say the same for, for hydrogen. You know, one of the big challenges with hydrogen really is storage. There's a lot of people working on both just kind of drop-in storage solutions and also alternate aircraft designs that better accommodate hydrogen storage. So the hope would be that, you know, 2035 to 2050, some of those kind of more uh, forward-thinking ideas that are being kicked around become more commercially viable and, and bridge that gap between just swapping out kerosene for SAF uh, and actually getting to, you know, something that really allows us to be kind of carbon neutral. Well, Jason, we've covered a lot of ground on this podcast today, and we didn't, uh, we haven't even uh, had the chance to dive into, you know, defense contracts, uh, wage increases, inflation, all these other topics that we could potentially uh, sink our teeth into. But for this episode, what do you hope people walk away with? What what sorts of things do you do you hope that people um, maybe take away from uh, from what we've talked about here today, and uh, and maybe learn from this conversation? Sure. So, in the vein of, I guess. Looking back and, and kind of thinking about earnings, uh, you know, reports from previous quarters, uh, the, the takeaway is um, businesses in this space are doing very well. And as we think about moving forward and think about, you know, what uh, what we're seeing, what analysts are seeing, uh, I would say the takeaway is um, the market is looking really, really good uh, for the balance of this decade. But um, there's a handful of things we need to be mindful of, right? Everything, as you mentioned, from um, challenges in staffing, wage increases, uh, supply chain issues that will continue to, to really 
probably be, be a challenge for, for a long while, uh, especially as geopolitical issues, you know, new ones arise and the current ones, uh, you know, kind of continue. Um, and then lastly, just passenger demand, right? Uh, there's, there's always talk of, of global recessions and so on. And, you know, are these things deep enough and wide enough to where they may potentially have a meaningful impact in, in, in the discretionary spend and, and ultimately passenger demand. Right now, we feel very good about where we're seeing, uh, you know, where, where we're seeing all these things go. We feel very good about the way Technetics is positioned in these markets. Uh, we definitely have the right products and the right technologies today. And we also have um, a lot of development work going on in the background to help our customers uh, kind of reach some of these, you know, future goals that we've talked about. So we feel really good about where we're positioned and we feel very, very good about where the markets are going. But uh, we we always need to be mindful about some of these um, kind of extraneous factors that, that, that could change things over the next, you know, couple of years. Very well put and very well said. Jason Riggs of Technetics joining us here on the podcast today. Jason, thank you as always for for joining me, for uh, diving into these topics and explaining a little bit more about, about what we've seen in 2022 and what we're uh, expecting in 2023. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Great, great to see you again, Tyler. And thanks, thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great to see you as well, Jason. And everyone, thank you for tuning into another episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. Of course, for more, visit technetics.com to stay in touch uh, with the folks there at Technetics and to learn more about some of the topics that we discussed here today. If you want to dive in and uh, and explore more about Technetics, technetics.com is the place to do it. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the podcast. We'll be back soon with those. But for Jason Riggs, I'm Tyler Kern. We'll see you next time.